feels as if every day something new falls apart. What are we supposed to do? God's grand plan from the beginning of creation is for his beloved children to bless the world, to be present as he is present, to be faithful as he is faithful to his promises, committed not to ourselves, but to a world worth saving. Genesis 22 is where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Genesis 22, I would invite you to turn there with me as we continue in our uh, series. Present, faithful, committed, bless. Attributes uh, that God demonstrates uh, of himself and invites us to be as we consider how we relate to the world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us through it. We know that you will. We trust that you will. It's why we it's why we pray, it's why we pause and devote time each week to listen. Because we believe that you do continue to speak through your word. Even though the events in this text may have happened a long time ago, we believe that they are true for us today. And that through them you are telling us about who you are, who we are and how you desire us to live in fellowship with you and your world. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would open our hearts to be aware of that in Christ's name. Amen. We are in the middle of a crisis with the past. That's true individually and it's true culturally. We are in a crisis with the past. We don't quite know what to do with it. Individually, we often go out of our way to ensure that people don't find out about our past. I would dare bet that many of us, even if we share some of the things that happened in high school, some of the hijinks we were involved in, some of the things that we were involved in, some of the pranks we pulled, or some of the things that we did and never told our parents, there are some things we would rather be forgotten. And if somebody found out about them, we would simply say, well, we were young, we were foolish, it's not who we are now. Or there's something about the past that we would prefer to, to stay there, and we actually would like it to stay there. We don't want to, to bring it out in the open. We want it to stay in the past. We, we sort of have this crisis with the past because we're not quite sure what to do with it. We want that for ourselves. The, the problem is that when we're dealing with other people, we find it very difficult to just leave the past in the past. We see this, of course, online when things that people say or do decades ago are all of a sudden brought back into the present and now they must account for them. And the reality is we do this in our own relationships. 
right? I dare bet, we're not going to have a show of hands, but uh, if we were, I would dare bet that 75% of us would raise our hands to the fact that there are people that we are in relationship with that when we are going to meet with them, we lie about the time. Right? If we're going to go out for dinner, we're going to tell them that dinner is at 6.30 because we know they're always a half hour late. Right? Don't show your hands. Don't look at the person next to you. Don't smile and nod and, you know, neighbor, you're person that you're sitting next to but right we now the problem is if we're that person we don't want the past brought up but if we are the people who know those people we are leaning on the past and holding on to it in the present so that we can have an enjoyable experience today And there are other times, again, where we want our past to be what people depend on. If I forgot to respond to an email, and you write me a text and say, hey, why didn't you respond to my email? I hope that my past history of normally responding in a good way, normally responding on time, normally being dependable, will be enough, and I'll say, have some grace Don't treat me for my present, treat me for my past. Right, and so we have this crisis of what to do with the past because we like to pick and choose. We want to individually try to decide what part of our past we want to hold on to and what part of our past we want other people to hold on to and what part of other people's past we want to hold on to. And they're, of course, fighting with us to say, no, let go of that. Let's just deal with the present. That's individually. As a society, it's not hard to make the case that we have a crisis relating to our past. What statues should go up? What statues should come down? What, how should history get understood? Should it be rewritten? How do we understand who we are? What do we do with our past mistakes? Do we gloss them over? Do we put them front and center? Do we define ourselves by what's good, by what's bad, by both? We have a crisis of the past. And in some ways, sort of as a society, we're, we're in a moment that says, let's not deal with it. Let's just sort of pretend it's gone. And let's just deal with today. But God, but God comes to us and what he says to us about the past, about our past and about his past, is I want everything you know about me right now, the good and the bad, the trouble and the blessing. I want everything that you believe about me to be based on the past. I want how you move forward, how you experience the present. I want every moment of your life right now to be built on who I have been. Everything about me. 
And we see in this text this morning why that makes all of the difference in allowing us as God's people to do extraordinary things or to have simple trust. Let's read Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. If you remember our series in James, a test is given in hopes that the person will what? Pass. A test is given in hopes that the person will pass. God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the knife and the fire. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, said Isaac, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. If you brought somebody who's in children's worship, you know what to talk about with the horns. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it will be said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham returned to his servants. They set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. If you remove this chapter from the story of Abraham, it of course is incredibly problematic, even more so than it is as 
we read through the story of Abraham. How do we experience a God who comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your child, the one I have promised to be the one through whom the descendants of the earth will be blessed, to take that child and to sacrifice him. What do we do with a God like that? And yet God is not concerned that this is how he is experienced, which Again, unless we are reflecting that God is saying to us, I want everything you know about me, everything you will trust or not trust about me to be built on my path, this chapter becomes impossible to swallow. But this chapter is not removed from the rest of Abraham's story. And so we're going to go back to verse 1 and verse 2 because in it we see some incredibly important things. If you wouldn't mind going back to that one. After God and Abraham have reconnected, the old lines of communication are open. We hear something very familiar. God comes and he says, Take your son whom you love and go to the region of Moriah, to the mountain I will show you. And of course, way back at the beginning of the story of Abraham in chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, take what you have and go to the land I will show you. Now these are the first things that God says to Abraham and they have stuck in his head. We should not be surprised that Abraham remembers this 40, 50 years after the fact. Because the truth is that we have things in our own memories that we remember for decades. Perhaps you're here with someone that you remember the very first thing they said to you. Might have been on your first date. You remember vividly what they said to you, how they said it, and you can pull it from your memory bank just like that. Perhaps it's something that a coach said to you after a game. They hadn't really said anything to you, but they said, hey, come over here. They knelt down, they put their arm around you, and they said something that if you needed to, you could write it out verbatim right now. Those words have been imprinted on your mind. Abraham knows these words because he has said them to himself for decades. And he has watched as God has taken him from a faraway country and done exactly what God promised he would do 50 years before. All right, 50 years before, God said, I'm going to take you from your country. I'm going to give you a new land. And in Genesis chapter 13, that happens. God lays out the country in front of Abraham and says, this is all of yours and it will belong to your descendants. And in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and he says, you're going to have a son and you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And later, Abraham and Sarah have a son at 90 and 100. And so God fulfills these promises. He he takes his time. 
He takes his time, but God fulfills his promises. And so these words, when Abraham hears, take what you love, take what you have, and go to the place I will show you, Abraham is not first and foremost thinking, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Sacrifice my son? How does that work? What he hears instead is the words of that coach. That's what he hears. He hears the message imprinted on his brain. And what awakens in him is all of those decades with God. Where Abraham and his measly 300 soldiers defeat five kings. where Abraham twice has his wife taken from him by a king and nothing happens to her. Where Abraham is faced with famine and God provides. Where Abraham gives a woman long after the ability to give birth a baby. Where God, out of nowhere, continues to do what is impossible in the human mind, but what is not impossible for God. And so when God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the place I will show you, Abraham, yes, is wondering what's going on, but Abraham is also hearing what God said decades before. And God in this moment is saying to Abraham, this is a brand new thing. This is a brand new test. We haven't asked this of each other before. I haven't come to you and said, yeah, you're a little too in love with Isaac. I'm going to need you to show me that I'm more important. God has not come to Abraham and said, you know, we really need to renegotiate our agreement so that I can be sure you're going to teach Isaac that he's the hoped for carrier on of these promises into the future. Right? They haven't had this conversation. God and Abram haven't negotiated this out. But God says to Abraham, I want everything behind you to serve as the ground on which you are going to stand. I have been God most high, Genesis 14. I am the God who sees. Genesis 21. I am the God, the eternal God, the end of Genesis 21. I am the God Almighty, Genesis 17. I am revealing who I am to you and to everyone who will ever read this story to come through your life. And I want you now to act based on that. And so Abraham goes. And we watch as they go and we can see signs you know, Abraham says to the servants, stay here, we will come back to you. As they're walking along, Isaac doesn't seem to be thrashing around. He doesn't feel like this is a threat. Isaac is not concerned. Abraham is not concerned. He says there will be a lamb provided. God himself will show up. God himself will provide. And so when they get to the top of the mountain, Abraham goes all the way to the edge of the cliff. 
just like it would be to leave a place you've, the only place you've ever known and to go to some place that you do not know exists. And then a chapter later to go to Egypt to look for food that you do not know will be there. And to trust that somehow this act between you and your wife will produce a son, even though it hasn't worked for nine decades. Abraham goes to the edge, and God, out of nowhere, like he has before, appears. The God who says to us in our crisis with history, You may not know what to do with your history. You may not know what to do with other people's history. But I want you to know what to do with my history. I want you to read the word, to read the stories, and to know and believe that that is who I am, not just then, but now. And it should not surprise us that this story becomes the way in which the story of Jesus is best understood. Where when the gospel writers are writing about Jesus' crucifixion, you can hear the echoes of this text all over the place. There's wood. And where does that wood go? It goes on the back of Isaac. The one and only beloved son carries the wood up Mount Moriah, which scholars declare to be the hill of Jerusalem. And Isaac is bound on the altar there, unable to move. And Jesus, of course, is bound there, having carried his own cross up to the hill. But what changes, of course, is after verse 10. When Isaac cries out, my God, my God, Father, why are you doing this? The angel declares, stop. But in the life of Jesus, there is no hand to stay. And God says to us and God says to his people, there is no length that I will not go to to demonstrate how much I will care for you, how I will provide for you, how I am eternal God, almighty God, both strong and kind. The true son, the Isaac, Jesus, allows himself to be the ram, the lamb that God provides. And in every moment of our lives, whether we are wrestling through our past, because some of us here this morning have past that we are not proud of, that we would like to forget and erase, God says, I want you to know that your past, if you belong to me, has been covered by the blood of Jesus, and your past is now Jesus. And if we are wrestling with how to deal with one another and extend the grace that Romans chapter 12 invites us into, yes, there are boundaries on that. But it is first and foremost 
built on the foundation that in our past, God has dealt most graciously with us. And how we go forward in our present and into our future is built on the trust and the faith that God will go because he has gone to whatever length necessary to keep us firmly in his grasp, to provide for us what he knows we need, not what we think we know we need, so that we will ever belong to him. He is a faithful God, committed to being present with us, Gracious God, this is a tough text. And in many ways, we really can only understand it in its fulfillment in the life of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you that as readers and hearers this morning, we don't just have Genesis chapter 22. We also have Luke chapter 23. We have Luke chapter, Mark chapter 15. We have Matthew chapter 27. We have John chapter 19, where we see the one and only beloved son walking up the hill with a wood on his back, crying out to be saved, and the father, the father turns away so that you, O oh God, will never turn away from us. And so wherever we are and however we come this morning, you know what it is we brought with us. You know who we are. May we look at that ram's horn and remember that the Lord will provide and has provided. And in that, we can walk forward in the light of life. We pray in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.